Good morning, Mark. Here we are again, yet another episode of True Business Stories. And boy, are we having fun, and we hope our interviewees are having fun at the same, same time, and those who are listening to our podcast are learning. And we're getting some great feedback from people who are contacting us and have listened to our previous episodes. So today is another interesting interview with a person we both know very well and who has a background as, as diverse as anyone I've ever met who likes a challenge in life. <laughs> and that is Michelle Hegney. Michelle is currently the CEO of Cadinia Health and she has another, a number of other interests and for instance that she is a partner in another family business that we might get into later on. She's a mum of three active, very active young ladies uh, that outside of work, I know that she spends a lot of time there and it, they're big into the equestrian events, which is fantastic to see children so, so involved in that. Michelle is also on, on or has been on a number of not-for-profit boards and she has a uh, high-profile corporate background. So welcome, Michelle. Thanks, Bill. Good. Nice to be here. Um, all right, just what we'd like to do today is just as we normally do, no scripting, and we'll just listen to your story. So, Michelle, I've known you a number of years, and uh, uh, yeah, Bill's right, you've, you've got a fantastic background. You've, you've never been afraid to take a challenge and, and, um, and jump at it. So, let's start. Where, where were you born? What school did you go to? Did you go to uni? Tell us a bit of the Michelle background. Yeah, well, I guess I was born at Frankston Base Hospital, um, not that I remember any of that, and uh, my earliest sort of recollection of school was um, in Moolat Primary School, or South Geelong Primary School, and then Moolat Primary School in Geelong. So I've basically been in Geelong all my life, um, except for about 18 months when I was in grade four at primary school, we um, moved to Darwin. Um, my dad was up there building the new Darwin Airport at the time. So we had 18 months in the Northern Territory and I went to school up there. Um, I don't remember that being anything particularly different, um, just perhaps a little bit culturally different. And uh, the wet season and the dry season, you really did look forward to the rain when you got those first rains, whereas, you know, here we think, oh, you know, it rains every other day down here in Geelong. <laughs> um, As it is today, by the way. Yeah, yeah, just a typical winter, although it's yeah. good to be getting into spring. And, uh, and then I went to Sacred Heart, college in Geelong and uh, that was a fabulous school all girls school um, has its pros and cons and uh, for my kids I have actually picked a, a co-ed school because life is co-ed and uh, it's good to um, get used to that and work in that environment all the way through your education uh, so that's been a, an active different choice that we've made based on my education and then in uh, I wanted to be a vet um, you know, that, that saying of you can't be what you can't see and so you get exposed to being a teacher or a nurse or a doctor or all of those things but my, I grew up riding horses and my kids have as well and so my goal was to be a vet. Um, I went to Melbourne Uni and did science and you're, you had to do science to, in order to get into veterinary science but once I got to university I realised that I wasn't at all interested in studying biology or any of the subjects required to be a vet. So I continued down a science degree majoring in chemistry. That's fascinating. Isn't it interesting when, when you start off with what you think and then you suddenly realise, no, that's not what I want to do. So with your science degree, where did that, what was your first then job when you, when you got out of uni? 
So I was very fortunate. There was a company in Geelong called Roman Haas, which was down towards, uh, was on the Point Henry on the way to Alcoa there. And they actually had a big research and development facility for paints and adhesives and thickeners um, and a whole lot of, and surfactants and a whole lot of surface coating technology. And so I was actually got a summer job there and that's actually chemistry and I was enjoying chemistry the most. So my whilst I had a first job working as a kennel girl was the title um, at a vet clinic. So I'd come in after school, clean the cages, medicate, feed, vacuum, mop and do a little bit of reception. That was my very, very first job at 14 and nine months, which I remind my 14 and six month old <laughs> daughter that she's only three months away. And, um, and it may be earlier, given the job summit at the moment, but let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, let's not, <laughs> let's not unpack that challenge. Um, and so, so I worked there every summer and one of the jobs that I had was cutting up pieces of weatherboard into three foot long pieces and then dividing them up into five sections putting about 13.6 grams of undercoat on based on the actual surface area of that piece of particular timber, then dividing that up and um, based on the density of the finished paint, had to coat a certain amount of paint onto each of these sections. And then they were put out um, north facing 45 degree angle for, for weathering. So we might remember that Dulux ad a few years yeah. ago where they showed how their paints were all weathered. I'm like, yeah, I've painted those those boards. And so that was one of my very first jobs. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. And and so did that love of chemistry continue? Did that lead to other opportunities? And Yeah, so I did. So what was lo very fortunate for me is because I had that work experience as a new graduate, I was quite um, attractive to, to companies to get um, a permanent role. So... Um, when I finished my science degree, so I did that over four years, had a little bit of fun in between. And um, so when I finished my science degree, I then was successful with a role with ICI. And that was a company called Velchem, who had a manufacturing facility in Wangaratta and their um, research facility and main offices um, in... Oh, I can't remember the suburb. Anyway, just, just near central Melbourne. So... Um, that worked quite well. So I was there for a couple of years. And the what I found while I was working there was that it was better to be in the sales side than being in the R&D side. So I'd be out there at different times running production trials with the customers or running um, trials for ourselves, but particular customer trials that are running 24-hour plants. So when the window of opportunity came up, if that was 2 o'clock in the morning, then I was there in my hard hat and my boots doing the, the trial at two o'clock in the morning whilst the sales guys were asleep and getting up and having breakfast and they got a company car and a mobile phone and so that was my aspiration to move across into, into my first sales role. I can relate to that, Michelle, because I, early age, I'd been living in England for three years and I came back and didn't have a, a cent to my name and I got a job as a sales rep because there was a car with it. Yep. And that was the whole reason. <laughs> <laughs> yep, well, I just thought I'm working just as hard as them and... Um, yeah. You know, that was the, the career progression. Now, you briefly mentioned and a little bit in between. Now, I remember a story to do with sailing. Oh, yes, now, that Tell comes us next. about that adventure. <laughs> huh? Well, that kind of comes next. So I did that for a number of years and I also did my MBA. I started my mm. MBA when I was 23 um, and I'd finished that by 26. I decided that I wanted to knock that study over early and having a technical skill but also having a business skill was really important 
And so when I finished my MBA, I resigned and travelled around the world like lots of Australians do. And so, yeah, so I um, sailed... There was an Australian yacht that did a, a race to um, Rio de Janeiro and I sailed on her from Rio de Janeiro to Antigua and did Antigua Race Week on another boat. And then from there I got a role on a 100-foot luxury yacht as the chef. And um, 100 foot is actually a small luxury yacht, so let's not get too excited in terms of the, the you know, the 300 footers that, you know, Silvio Berlusconi owned and that sort of thing. Um, so, and then I got to sail across the North Atlantic and spend a couple of weeks in France before I decided that, you know, that was a nice lifestyle gig for a little while um, and continue travelling through um, Eastern Europe because my dollar would last a lot longer travelling there and then finished off with a couple of months um, in the US before coming home and that was in the early, well I don't know if it was that early but definitely seek in those online um, portals for applying for roles were probably relatively new and back when I was travelling no one had iPhones or any of that, it was all um, internet cafes so you go in and you pay your two euro for 30 minutes of internet access around the world. And so when I, um, I was sitting in the US and I was like, well, I'm going home soon and started to look on Seek for jobs and I saw this role at Alcoa and I was like, that's in Geelong because um, I wanted to get back to Geelong instead of being in Melbourne. It was sales and marketing. It had a technical spiel. I was just like, got to get my CV in, got to write that up while I'm over here. So Now, here um, you are today sitting or in your clinic where you are the CEO if you look back on those that are, I guess that roller coaster ride you've just explained about, can you, if you reflect back, is there any lessons from what you did in you know in that adventure? I'm not sure that there's exact lessons. I just think the main thing is you just have to keep going. Mm-hmm. You know, when they go and get tough, tough get going, um, and you've just got to, you know, when you're travelling on your own. Um, I was lucky I never got sick or anything like that, but. You know, if you wanted to get from place A to place B, you had to figure it out. And so probably that resilience piece of, I don't know how to do something, but I know that I can figure it out. And having that travel time teaches you that. Well, that's probably the most important lesson of all. So as part, part of your career, Michelle, you, you spent a number of years at Alcoa, um, and then you created your own little business. Um, do you want to talk, chat a little bit about that? Yeah, so I was with Alcoa for 10 years, all up. Um, and I had a couple of maternity leave breaks in that. The, during that time, um, we moved to a, out to our farm, so we decided that we'd start a wedding business in our gardens. The gardens were beautiful and it was a way put to, to cover some costs. It was a bit of a side hustle, really, um, so that was very, like, that was quite rewarding. Um, and also, during my time at Alcoa, before we had children, my husband wanted to start his own electrical contracting business and we had this discussion. Um, I had an opportunity to pursue a role with Alcoa in Russia or for him to start his own business and we were about to have children. He said, well, how about I start my own business and if that's successful, then we might not follow your career and if it isn't, then we can always follow your corporate career. So um, he started QA Electrical from our home office. I've never done the books. Um, but I've provided lots of support and ideas along the way. And one, one of the other things you've done, you've been on a number of, um, and I'll bring this back in a loop, a uh, number of board roles. So how have you found that, getting onto boards? And I think you were on the Geelong Cemetery Trust. 
uh, among uh, the uh, Geelong Arts Centre, etc. Yeah, so when I was at Alcoa, they were very supportive of women developing their careers. And one of the challenges that Alcoa had identified is that um, in the workplace, it can be very difficult to get all the alternate skills to demonstrate that you're capable to do the next role. So their um, women's network, which we would have a meeting once a month with different guest speakers, and one of the suggestions that was made was that um, you get a role, get some board work, whether it's volunteer or paid, so that you actually can demonstrate that you can look at governance, that if you don't have a financial background but you've been responsible for financials, um, if you haven't had people report to you but then you are responsible for how an organisation performs through the CEO, you have a whole host of other experiences that you can bring back to Alcoa. So that was actually their suggestion to do that. So after my first child they paid um, half of my uh, the training costs to do the Australian Institute of Company Directors course and gave me the time off to complete that course of study leave. So um, that's how I got into boards. Good. It's, uh, you know, th there's an old saying about that you learn by doing and you've done a lot of doing. But let's bring it back to where you are now and uh, business related. Is there any great difference between being the CEO or running a large medical practice such as this is as against, say, your husband's uh, electrical contracting business or an engineering company or a large food manufacturer, do you think there is, you know, do you run a medical practice that has any similarities? I think any business is always about its people. Mm -hmm. And so whatever business you're running, you're trying to keep your people happy, motivated and delivering results. And so in a medical practice, um, that you know, the GPs are responsible for their own work. They make their own decisions, which is a little bit different to they're not their contractors, not employees. So that's a little bit different. But at the same time, it's providing a place that they can achieve their best as contractors. That our nurses and our admin staff can achieve their best. And so I think with the similarities for an electrical contracting business, it's can my um, estimator do the best job that they can with the equipment and the time that, and the support that they've got? Can my apprentice do the best job that they can with the support and the training that our A-grade electricians are giving them? So I think there's definitely that piece is very similar um, about optimising and encouraging employee outcomes. So as a CEO, are you find you're having to play a mentor's role? I would say at times 30% of my job is cheerleading. Mm -hmm. Um, particularly in medical at the moment, it's really tough. Um, we have patients that from time to time who are not nice to reception, and that's probably an understatement. Um, but those people are not nice often because they are going through a trauma and a very challenging personal time. And so that, that challenge for them comes out to the reception person who might be trying to help them but is at the same time saying, no, we can't do this for you. So... Um, so I think you've, you know, it's that, that patience and tolerance, but also we can deal with this, we've, I've got your back, we're all in this together. So as a leader of a large organisation or a large small business, I guess it would be my description of it, and you said you're a cheerleader, who cheers the cheerleader? Where do you get your mentoring from and your inspiration? So I've got some fantastic staff and as a team we pick each other up um, from time to time. And, but I've got a really great board. And so there's a couple of board members when I'm not quite sure that I can reach out to and say, um, so 
you know, this is a challenge, I'm not quite sure what to do here. Um, so I've got some board members who are happy to coach as well as provide that governance. Yeah, uh, well, the board is an interesting thing. What about in small and medium businesses? How important, or do you think it's important that a small and medium business has an advisory board? Yes. So, and my husband's business has actually set up an advisory board at my recommendation. The challenge of an advisory board is to ensure that they're advising and that they don't go into the governance space. And so the typical um, government governance space and also that you can provide them with the information in a meaningful way that they can actually provide advice so that's I think that's the biggest challenge um, for advisory boards in small business the, the thing that impresses me Michelle with the, your whole career and what you're doing here is your ability to think fast and then um, rotate or pivot that horrible word we learnt over over COVID and and at Cadenia Health with COVID, you've moved to doing very quickly uh, testing for COVID facilities. Um, and now uh, the next thing that struck us obviously is monkeypox. And again, you're rotating to try and manage that. How hard is it to, to do those pivots or, and, and get the team on board and move and, and change? I think the staff in a medical environment are so used to different challenges that the pivot itself is not actually the challenge. It, in particular with COVID, it's the longevity. So, um, and then it was the constant pivot. You know, the only constant was change. And so the pivoting's not cha not so hard. There's quite a good, in this organisation, quite a solid um, base of, yep, I can do that, I can figure this out, I've got solutions. But the, the part with COVID has been the longevity and wearing masks all the time and you know, only nine months ago, you know, at Christmas time, if you had COVID come into our building, we had to shut the whole building down. Um, at one point, I had to shut down our COVID testing clinic for four days because we had a case in, in our office. No one's ever got infected from, tech, um, from testing, but we had um, an, an employee attend work when they were unsure that they were, or they didn't know that they were sick. They got mm -hmm. sick at lunchtime and went, I'm going home, and then had a test. And so that... Um, that's a challenge. It was, it's that type of resilience that we had to really focus on. And outside of work, what, what's your hobbies? What, what gives you your space, your time, your thinking time? Oh, I don't know that I have a lot of that space. Um, with three kids, um, three all ride horses, I, pro I really enjoy being with them and doing the horses. And um, they're very competitive Rosie, my eldest, and Alana, my youngest, are both heading off to Sydney in two weeks' time for the inter-school nationals. So that's probably my downtime is being out there with them and the horses and whilst it's their sport, um, I'm supporting a lot of that. Yeah, that's interesting you say it's their sport, but we know that you bought a great big truck, right? <laughs> a horse truck, and you drive that all over the place. So tell us a little bit about that side because... You are actually part of that team that's going out there on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I got my heavy rigid non-synchro truck licence and it's significant that it's a non-synchro because that's the crash box gearbox where you've got a double clutch. And um, anyway, I got a trucky singlet that from my husband as a present the day I got my truck licence. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it, 
I look, I love doing it. Hmm. If the kids didn't want to do it, that would be fine. Um, but it's nice to do something that I enjoy. Yep. And, you know, horses are pretty therapeutic too. So, Michelle, f- five years from now, what do you think you'll be doing? Mm. Good question. It's a very good question. Bit of silence there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not really sure. So, um, I think it will be an inter- interesting where that next five years goes. So by then my eldest will have been will be at uni, will be sort of ending that high school education phase. My youngest will have a couple more years to go, but we'll be transitioning there. Um, I have thought about some extra study, just not quite sure what that looks like, whether that would be in health. I did look at doing a law degree a few years ago, um, but just felt that that might be too much work on top of life at the minute. So we'll just see. I do. It's time to do some extra study and build some skills in a different area. I'm just not quite sure what those that study should be, and uh, you know, and what my passion next is. Yeah, it always amazes me. And another lesson for business owners is about continuous learning, and you can't just rest on what you've learned in the past. Although you learn on a on a on a daily basis, there's no doubt about that. But the um, you know, so how do you keep up to date with what's with your knowledge and keeping abreast of what's going on and use it in a practical sense? Well, this is going to sound terrible, but it, there's quite a few good articles that come up from time to time on Facebook and LinkedIn. And often you might read a, a newspaper article or something on ABC that will prompt you to then go and look at something else. And um, mm-hmm. so, for example... Um, you know the acronyms of he, him, and she, her, and we. I thought, should we actually add that to our um, to our emails at work? And then there was an article that came up in the Age through Facebook of all places, um, talking about the pros and cons and why you would have that or wouldn't have that. And I was like, hmm, actually, I get the two sides of that argument. I enjoyed reading that, and so we implemented um, putting those identifiers on our email addresses. So. Sometimes it's through that passive, just wherever it comes from at this point in time. It's, it's just about reading, isn't it? It's reading anything and everything and gleaning what you can from that, So, which is good. So the only other thing I suppose it, I, I was thinking in the next five years is Brendan's got a really successful business um, and you're in Brisbane and Sydney, I think? Yes, and just about to go into Toowoomba. So that's probably the next five years. Where does that end up? That's the other part of your life that could take you in a totally different direction. So you, So you don't know. No, but that's right. And I will ask you about another uh, issue that I know about, uh, and it relates to business owners, and it's about taking a break. And I come across too many business owners that some see it as a badge of honour that they haven't had a holiday in 10 years, but you and the family did decide to take a break, and you took three, four months off? Yeah. It's and a- just tell us what you got out of that and why it's so important for people in family business to do that. Mm. Well, I think there's a couple of things, even in this workplace, and going back to that question about what things would you do in any business, it's always important to have two, better if you can have three, people that can do everybody else's job. So um, if you've got a finance person, then you need two people that can, two or three people that can do payroll, two or three people that can do the accounts, whatever it is, you know, two or three. So... um, and even for the business owner, it's important that you've got two or three staff. They might not be able to do everything that you can do, but make sure that you've got two or three staff that can cover about 80 to 90% of what you can do. 
And so for us, Brendan had always wanted to take the kids out of school and travel around Australia. He'd done the Gib River Road and um, out back Western Australia in his 20s and wanted to go back there. So we took the kids out of school for a term and then the five weeks of holidays either side. So we got about 16 weeks away. And um, yeah, so went basically and did the lap of Australia up through outback Queensland, across under, um, didn't go to Darwin because we'd been there before on a different trip. So, um, and across to Western Australia, all the, way, all the way down the WA coast and then across. Um, so the key thing is you are always contactable if there is a, an absolute reason, but it's about de developing the staff, the two or three people under you that can do parts of your role and together giving them the opportunity to lead for a while. Michelle, fantastic. Um, I know you pack a lot into your life and there's a lot more to be packed in. So thank you very much for your time today. Really enjoyed chatting to you and, and learning a bit more about you. And uh, we look forward to seeing how the next few years continue for you. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. That was terrific. Excellent. Thanks, Mark and Bill. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm.